We are in part 11 of our series through the book of Isaiah entitled the Wake Up Series. And I entitled today's message, Wake Up to Discipline. I am going to begin by telling you some thoughts about parenting and discipline. I'm the wrong guy to do this message. If we were to do this accurately and biblically, we would bring my wife here and uh, because she is a disciplinarian in our household. When I tell the children to go to bed, they smile. When she tells them to go to bed, they turn off the light. So uh, she should be guiding us this morning. However, um, I have the mic and I don't let her have one. So... Uh, I, I would begin by saying the reason why we're talking about parenting and discipline is because we've learned a lot from God and we are about to see uh, a passage where God is bringing both wrath and discipline and sometimes we can't tell the difference so we need to keep them separate in our minds as much as possible. Uh, perhaps the easiest way to think of it and it's not strictly accurate, but it's a, a general rule of thumb, is that wrath is for God's enemies, discipline is for God's kids. Wrath is for God's enemies, discipline is for God's kids. The reason why I point that out is because wrath is for the purpose of destruction. Discipline is for the purpose of restoration. God's desire and his heart for his children is always to bring them about to change, transformation, restoration. God is trying to get his people back to blessing. As every good parent, and some of us have not been raised with great parents. I happen to be spoiled that both my parents uh, love me intensely, have always championed me. And I grew up, even though there was divorce in the household, I grew up with two parents that were more than loving, more than kind. But not all of us had that blessing. Some of us grew up with abusive parents. And so anytime I talk about a heavenly father and I use references to discipline, fear strikes your heart. Because if your, heaven, if your earthly parents were bad, then why would you want a super powerful being to be even worse to you? So therefore, we need to do this. Everyone that has had dysfunctional parenting over you in your life, every time you hear me talk about the discipline of our Heavenly Father, you need to think this. He's not like dad and mom. He is a perfect parent. He is what I always dreamed of. He is the one that will do it right, that loves me so deeply that he's interested and he's able and he's mature enough and he's healthy enough to make the discipline be best for me, not just best for them. We've learned a number of things from God about how to discipline. One of the things that we have learned is that discipline is loving. Uh, a lot of us really want God to just let us do whatever we want to do. That would be a mistake. I don't think that you would appreciate parenting manuals that said, let your kids do anything and everything they want. I think you would think that's bogus. In the same way, God is not just going to let us do anything and everything that we want. However, on the other hand, we have also learned that it can't always be discipline. 
The Bible says that if we discipline our kids too much and we're always on their case, we will drive them to exasperation and we will break their spirit. Even here in the passage we're about to study, actually all the way through the book of Isaiah, in one of the most intense discipline books in the entire Bible, we keep seeing Oasis over and over and over breaks all the way through where God is saying, let's lighten up for a moment. I have a future and a hope for you. I have joy for you. Understand, I'm not interested in spending all of our time on discipline. I'm trying to rush you back into favor and blessing. If we can only get there faster, then we would have more joy in our life. That's the God that we serve. We've also learned from him that you never discipline out of anger. That's unacceptable. There are a number of words that are used in Hebrew and Greek for anger and wrath and things like that. But know this, God is not a reactive disciplinarian. You ticked me off so much, now I'm going to bring the heat. And, I, and it's that full venting of all of his, angry on his uh, anger on his children because he's in a bad mood. That is what fallible human parents do. That is not what good heavenly fathers do. In our weakness, many of us have discipline that way. We let it build up and it's not at all about our kids. It's about us being so angry. We just want to vent on them. That's not right. Our heavenly father in the words that are used is that he has a settled disposition against sin. And it's not a reactive response. All right? So as I, as I look at some of these things, it seems sometimes that, that it's inconsistent. Sometimes God busts you for this and sometimes God... We need to realize that the more and more we know about God's word, the more and more we know about his nature, the more we know about his thought process, the more his discipline seems extraordinarily consistent. We feel like, man, why did I get busted for this? I didn't get busted for that. Well, there's a reason. We also realize that we tailor our discipline, as consistent as we are with each child, we tailor our discipline to the demeanor of the child, right? Um, Side note, my mom's here, right? (laughs) Now, I have in recollection, I have two spankings that I remember from my mom. It was the most appropriate, healthy, everything. Although I have not let her off the hook for one of them because I didn't do it. (laughs) And I make her feel guilty about it all the time. All right. The important thing about all this is that it's recorded on tape. All right. So. uh, But I remember that in those in those spanking times, uh, of course, there's this attitude of it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. No child buys any of that. Right. But when you're an adult, you get it. You all of a sudden realize discipline is actually very awkward because if you're disciplining appropriately, you're doing what's best for them, but they can't receive that at the time. So you're bringing something into their life. They can't stand and they don't recognize you as being good at all. They think that you're the bad guy. 
Why would you bring this pain upon me? And you're thinking in your mind, I would rather just hang out and watch TV tonight. I don't want to discipline you. I don't want to spend my evening trying to bring down the hammer. I don't want to have to have this big, long talk. And, you know, I don't want to do that. As a parent, I've realized that is so difficult. I also realize that when you're getting spanked, the instinct, the instinctual response is to shield Everybody know what I'm talking about? That's the whoa, 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 right? All right. The last thing that I will say is I remember hearing the phrase, if you don't move your hand, it, we're just going to keep doing this. <laughs> right? You know what I mean, right? Okay, okay. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Resisting may only make it worse. Resisting may only make it worse. Every good parent knows that you only discipline to bring about change. When that transformation has begun to occur, you pull back the discipline. There is no need to bring it anymore. And so at that point, you can hold back. God is the exact same way that he is trying to bring about discipline upon the nation of Israel. And they are resistant. And he's saying, listen, the more you resist me, the longer this is going to take. Can we please just get it over with? Can you please turn away from your sin? Get rid of your idols. Come back to me so we can have fun again. I want to go towards blessing. I want to shower you with my favor. But we can't seem to get beyond this. Why are we still doing this over and over and over and over again? And that brings up a side note. Why would they put in the Bible one of the longest books, 66 chapters in Isaiah, perhaps the third longest book in the entire Old Testament, why would they put one in that is so repetitive, saying the same thing over and over and over again? Why? Because no one's learning. Which is a little scary when you realize that the book of Isaiah was selected for Bridgeway supernaturally for this year. What aren't we getting? What aren't we understanding? Oh, look, I'm going to go to church today and Lance is going to talk about the fact that we need to repent. We need to turn from our sin. I get it, man. Think it's something else. I can't move on. God won't let me move on until we get it. There are so many things in our life that we are still hanging on to that we don't think are important. And God thinks they are vastly important. And the more we resist him, the more we got to keep doing this. I would suggest that it would only make sense for us to loosen our hands, drop our idols and say, yes, Lord. Amen. 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 Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 30, verse 1. Isaiah 30, verse 1. The setup for this morning, and if we could bring up the map, that would be great. The setup for this morning is simply this. Assyria, and we keep circling around the same period in history, uh, around 700 or so B.C. Uh, Assyria, who's in the top right-hand corner of your map, uh, is the big bad guy. They're beating on the little guys. Well, Down on the left corner of the screen, you will see Egypt, Cush. They were fused together with the Ethiopian nation, which is deeper into Africa. And new leadership had taken place. Uh, There was a brand new pharaoh, a new dynasty that had come in. And that main pharaoh was 
uh, Ethiopian. Uh, his prince, the guy that ran the show underneath, was Shavako. He also was an Ethiopian pharaoh. Well, when they came into power, all these little guys getting beat up by Assyria thought, now's our chance. Let's go get some help. Let's run down, send envoys and ambassadors with tons of cash, pay the Egyptians to come in, step in, and help us defeat the Assyrians. There's a big problem with that. Because as much as the Assyrians were coming to destroy them, the Assyrians weren't ultimately their problem. God was their problem. And what world power can you pay off to stop God? Uh Uh-oh. This is how it begins. Ah, stubborn children. What a great place to begin. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not my plan. Who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction. To take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. How insulting to God that no one's checking in with him. They just go on and they go, man, we're having a really hard time here. We got to scramble. We got to find a way. We got to get some people. We'll pay them to, to defend us and everything. God has already told them, this is judgment on you because of your sin. So no matter how many backup guys you get, it's not going to work. But no one's listening. They want to just keep running their head right into the wall. Here's something that has been very difficult for me to understand in my personality. Uh, My personality is, and even as a child, it was even more so. I was the kind of little kid that you could snap with a strong look. I was not tough guy. I was not stubborn guy. I was wimpy kid. I was like, oh my gosh, you're angry at me. What do I do? You know, and I'm falling on my face. I'm that kind of kid. Uh, My mom and dad did not need to come down hard on me. They did not need to do any of that stuff because I was so easy to crack. But I had all these other buddies, all these other people in my life that they had the gift of tenacity. They're stubborn as all get out, right? They will literally have an opinion that they will just go at it and go at it and go at it again. And until they learn it themselves, they're not going to change. Man, that was not my perspective. It's hard for me to understand that because here's my viewpoint. Man, people don't like that. What's the easier way? I was always path of least resistance guy. I was always like, well, that didn't work. All right, let's run this way. I wanted everybody to like me. It just it made everything easier in my world. Why would I bother keep ramming my head against something that didn't move last time? Just go around it, right? There's no need, no need to have difficulty. But not all of us have that personality. Some of us, like Israel, knew what was right, but they were so stubborn, they just kept doing it over and over and over again. Now, I understand in my life, perpetual weakness. I understand perpetual failure. I understand perpetual temptation and bailing. I understand all of that. What I don't understand very well is perpetual stubbornness. It seems maddening to me. It seems like a waste of time. There's so many other things you could get, right? I mean, in my world, 
If I was in trouble, I just wanted to hurry up and make it right so I could get a popsicle. Right? I don't need to be grounded again. Right? Why are we so resistant sometimes? Verse 6. An oracle, a word from God regarding the envoys. Excuse me. The envoys. I paraphrase the envoys that Judah sent to pay Egypt for help. Huge caravans, tons of cash. Verse 7. This is what God said. Egypt's help is worthless and empty. That's clear. Therefore, I've called her Rahab the do-nothing. Rahab the do-nothing. Hey, how's that going to work out? You paid her a whole bunch of cash. Guess what? She'll take your cash, and she's not going to show to the fight. She is the big do-nothing. And indeed, when Assyria came in to attack, 46 cities were devastated, and over 200,000 people were taken captive and exiled. And Egypt never showed. God said, I told you that in advance. Stop trusting in people that aren't going to back you up. Why are you trading my defense for their defense? It didn't work. Verse 8. And now Isaiah, go and write it before them, before Israel, on a tablet. Inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, another word for prophets, do not see. They say to the prophets of God, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way, turn aside from the path, and let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Wow, that's hardcore. Did they really say that? Yeah, they really did. So God said, Isaiah, I want you to write on a huge sandwich board sign, Israel's rebellious, nobody's listening to me, and walk around with it. Show everybody. And now Isaiah's like, man, another calling that makes everyone hate my guts, right? It's kind of my lot in life. So I'm going to walk around with this sign and everybody's going to get irritated. They were literally saying, I don't want to hear from you, God. All you have is bad information for me. All you have is bad news for me. And God goes, yeah, I know because you're being rebellious. Of course, I don't have another message for you. I would love to give you another message, but we can't seem to learn our lesson. So we're going to keep talking about the exact same thing. Thus, therefore, verse 12, says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, Egypt. Therefore, this sin that you do, this iniquity, this bad decision shall be to you like a breach in a high wall bulging out and about to collapse whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. Skip to verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel says, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. You didn't like that plan. You said, no, we're going to run away on horses. Therefore you will run away. And you said, we're going to ride upon the really fast ones. Therefore your pursuers will ride even faster ones. I don't know if you saw God's plan versus their plan right there. Their plan was, let's go trust into the Egyptian chariot army. The Egyptians had a lot of planes, a lot of open space. So they had a massive army of horses and chariots, and they were good at what they do. 
They kill really fast. And of course, when you're dealing largely in an ancient world where a lot was done on foot, if you were able to ride a horse or you were able to run a chariot by, you had the advantage. They said, we want the shiny chariots, we want the fast horses, then we'll be able to beat up the Assyrians. God says, you want to know my plan? Once again, if you underline your Bibles, underline this. His view was what? It's in verse 15. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Well, that's drastically different. As a matter of fact, that's quite counterintuitive. He said, slow down, look at me, rest. I have this one. Trust in me, stop scrambling, and dive closer to me. All I want you to do is I want you to stand by my side. Let me take care of this. That was God's plan. Why wouldn't we want that plan? Because we don't think he'll do anything. That's why. We literally believe that if we scramble around, we're going to come up with a better plan than God. Uh, is everybody familiar with the armor of God passage in Ephesians 6? The armor of God, uh, if, you're, if you're new, Paul began to describe how to basically have your life uh, ready and prepared for all the things that God has for you. So you would use an, an analogy of armor. The helmet of salvation, the ble- breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. The belt of truth, the feet ready for the gospel of peace, right? The sword of the spirit. It says pray on all occasions. It talks about these things. But here's what's so ironic, and this is the part that irritated me as a kid. It says, and after you've done all that, you put it all on to what? Stand. What? That's lame. Why'd I get dressed? Why am I wearing armor? Why did you give me a sword if I'm just going to stand here? Don't put a sharp object in my hand if I can't knife someone. I will start swinging wildly just out of sheer boredom, right? Do not tell me just to stand here. Standing is lame. Unless there's a way that it makes sense. I would suggest to you that standing makes sense if one of two things are occurring. Now, we're going to use these. These are hypothetical, right? Let's say, for example, that, that on the cross, Jesus Christ really did defeat the enemy. Let's say, for example, that if Jesus Christ really put to shame the devil and his angels, really bound the strong man, really empowered his believers with the Holy Spirit, really allowed them to walk around throughout the earth and actually have the ability of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do things that would assault darkness, if really God was doing all the heavy lifting and doing all the warfare, if he really did all that, maybe it would make sense to stand there and not get in his way oh that's right that did happen huh if someone's doing the warfare on your behalf there's no point in you running into the fight and messing it up if it was really accomplished by god if it's really his battle you don't need to run in there your job is that we already took the territory and now the enemy wants to try to get it back either god's fighting our battles and we should stand Or we've already won the victory and we should stand. Both those are true. It makes sense 
to hold your ground if the victory is already won. It makes sense because what happens if you run out into the fray, the enemy can just go around you and take what you had. God says, we actually already won, kids. Can you just stand there and defend it? I'll give you a sword, right? And yes, there are certain times that we will move forward in an assaulting manner. However, in general, it talks about the church that the gates of hell will what? Not prevail against it. We've won, kids. So yeah, I'm going to fight this. I need you to stand there. Look, I even gave you an outfit to wear. Right? You look tough. Look at you. That's a pretty sharp... That's a wooden sword. Do you know that? That's, a wooden, that's not even a real sword. Anyway, right? I don't want you hitting your brother with it. You'll cut off his head. Right? That kind of stuff. Verse 18. Look at this phrase. Right when Israel's being so rebellious and stubborn, God says this, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Man, I really want to do this a different way. I really want to move on to blessing. I really want to go have fun. Why are we spending so much time in time out? Can we go to Disneyland? No, time out again. Great. Great. You know what? Daddy actually wants to go do something. He does not want to hang out at home while you're grounded. I want to go have fun. Let's go advance somewhere. Let's go do great things. Let's go have an exciting adventure of Christianity. Oh, no, we're just going to stay at home and constantly do bad things. That's a drag. I don't want to do that. I'm waiting to be gracious to you. Therefore, I will exalt myself. I'll lift myself up to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. For people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. He's saying, I tell you right now, we will have a future. You shall weep no more, and he will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity for now, the water of affliction... Yet your teacher, God, will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes will see him and your ears will hear a word behind you like a guide saying, this is the way walk like this when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. I paraphrase the rest. Then when you get rid of your idols, I will heal your land and bring blessing back to you. But when it comes to your enemies, I will come riding in with all the fire and smoke and lightning because I'm not so sure you even understand the fear of the Lord. But you know who's going to understand it? Verse 31, the Assyrians will be terror stricken at the voice of the Lord when he strikes with his rod. Look at verse 33, for a burning place has been prepared. He's referring to a place where the Israelites had pagan worship to the God Molech. They would burn their children. That was later called the Valley of Hinnom. Later on, it became the dump of Jerusalem, also called Gehenna, which is also the phrase used for hell. That whole transition of a burning dump. When God, in one night, by his angel, killed 185,000 Assyrians at the foot of Jerusalem, where are you going to put all those bodies? You're not going to bury them. You have no interest in burying them. What are you going to do? You're going to haul them off into that valley and you're going to burn them all up. He said, I told you, when I get done fighting my battles, the other guy doesn't get up. 31.1, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because there are many and in horsemen because they are strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel 
or consult the Lord. I paraphrase. He says, Egypt is just men. They're just flesh. Your idols are just trinkets. Stop playing games. Come back to me. Why does it take so much for us to return to the Lord? Verse 8, and the Assyrian will fall by a sword, not of man, and a sword, uh, not of man, and a sword, not of man, shall devour him. I told you, 701 B.C., he wipes out 185,000 of them, but he wasn't done. In 612 B.C., he rose up the Babylonians, they took over Nineveh, and shut down the Assyrians for hundreds of years. Okay, here's the whole point of the message. If God is bringing discipline into your life, he's not going to let up until we learn, until we change. Just you saying that you're tired of it does not stop his progress. Just because you say, God, I want to talk about something else, stop talking about my sin, doesn't mean he's going to stop talking about what's wrong with you. Your father is too interested in your advancement, glory, and being like him to bother backing off and saying it's no big deal. The discipline he brings is for your glory, for his glory. He is doing it out of a settled, not reactionary, but a settled interest in your best. But if you continue to resist, it's only going to keep going. Our heart should be, yes, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me, Father, restore me, Lord. That is the appropriate response.